Psalm 96, beginning in verse 10. The psalmist says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established, it cannot be shaken. He judges the peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them exult. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy. Because the Lord, before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you are our strong deliverer in so many ways. You're our hope. You are the one that we need. We long for your reign and for your rule. Some of us don't aren't, aren't conscious of that on a daily basis. We just feel the groanings and the tiredness and the dullness of a world that is not completely under your rule and is still in large measure in the grips of sin and Satan and evil. But God, we know you have triumphed through your sacrifice of your son giving of your son to die on the cross, you have won the victory. He, Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world has won the victory. And Father, we long for your rule and reign so that righteousness may fill this earth and so that we can see your faithfulness fully. Help us to see it now, God, as we look into your word. Help us to see your character, to see your beauty, to see your trustworthiness, to see that you alone can be called completely faithful. And that is why we need you. That's why we worship you this morning. And I pray you would bless our time with you. Please meet with us and move among us. For your honor we pray. Amen. So, as I said, this morning is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Welcome. We're going to have a good day today. It's already been very good. Uh, When we think about life, you know, that this morning the title of the sermon is The Faithfulness of God. As a subtitle, this thought just kept coming into my mind and and I know you, some, most of you probably don't remember back a year ago, but in two days it will have been a year since the last year's sermon on Sanctity of Life Sunday, and uh, I'm sure you've got that in your notes somewhere, right? You remember a sermon that I preached a year ago, right? Um, I had to go look it up. I wasn't sure if I preached it. So I went and I looked it up, and when I began to think about what I would share this Sunday. And uh, we went in some practical ways last year. We talked about how to live pro-life. And 
And this year, just with the just with the barrage, just with the amount of things that have happened, and it just were just sticking in my mind regarding just the colossal assault on life that we've seen over the last year. And those are just the things that, that we've seen. Just think about how much we haven't seen. I really just began to think about this problem of evil and what our response needs to be. And I will not have all the answers for that question this morning. I don't have all the answers for that in my own life. But I want to begin talking about the beauty of life, and then I want this sermon to be about how do we respond to the evil that's in this world as God's children. But first, let me talk about the beauty of life, the importance of life. There's sacredness in human life, not because we are so much sacred all the time, but because the one that made us is sacred. We can be some of the most unholy, unsacred, wicked creations of God. But we are living in a story. We're living in His story. We aren't the main character. He is. He's the author and He's in every chapter. We're just in a the chapter of our lifetime. But God has been in every chapter of human history from the very beginning. In the beginning, our Creator said, let us make man in our own image. Speaking to the Son and the Spirit. And He said that all that He created was good. And there was a special distinction upon mankind. He created man in His image. We talk about that a lot at Wyatt. It's because the Bible talks about it. But then the curse of sin corrupted mankind. And each of us has this curse of sin in us that, cor- that has corrupted us. It has caused spiritual death in our lives. Because we've broken God's commandments, we don't have communication with God. We aren't connected with God at all. We are born not only in sin, we're born underneath His wrath and His judgment because we have rebelled with this beautiful life that He has given to us. That is what is so offensive about a human sin. We're not a plant disobeying the commands of God. We're a being that was made in His image that was meant to reflect His goodness. So when we sin, when you and I sin, we are rebelling against God. But we still, even though there is this corruption that was a result of Adam and Eve's sin and also a daily result of of our sin, we still see human life in general is important. It has beauty to it. Every single human life. We're not animals. We're not a clump of cells. We're not a product of Darwinian evolution. We're important. We're made in the image of God, a direct creation of God Almighty. So here's some statistics. There are somewhere between 7 and 7.5 billion people on planet Earth right now. There are 131 million people born each year, babies. 360,000 births will happen today. 15,000 babies will be born this hour. Four babies will be born each second. 
four babies. Four, eight, 12, 16. I can't go any higher than that. And also, think about all the different kinds of people, all the different beauty. That's why, that's why the cure for, for racism is the gospel of Jesus, is the church. Because God brings together people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, skin color, height, weight, background, intelligence level, financial situation, country of origin, sin background. He brings all of these people together under one banner and into one family united in a spiritual brotherhood. United in a spiritual family. And it's not age, skin color, ethnicity, or ability that makes a person special, but the fact that God himself made us and values us. Here's what King David said in Psalm 8, one of my favorite psalms. He, he said, when I consider your heavens, God, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, and whatever passes through the paths of the seas. He was a man humbled that God would even pay attention to him. He, he had a real perspective of God, that God was, was so great and so big and, and so wise and so holy and so powerful. And yet, here, David, I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to be involved in your life. It's what's so amazing about the God that we serve. No matter what we've done, no matter how many times we've fallen, no matter how incompetent we feel that we are, our God is loving and compassionate and He doesn't have to be. He has chosen to come down and to meet with us and to walk through life with us and to give us His Spirit daily in our lives. And so if we know Jesus Christ, we know God. God is not someone that is distant from us. Someone that we can never touch or never reach. He is someone who is always saying, come to the well and drink. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And that's what David felt. He couldn't believe it. The good news is that God loves mankind and that there's meaning and purpose to our lives. God's got a plan. The bad news is that we live in an evil, evil world. In human history, though it's so full of good things and so full of joy at times, it's so full of some of the greatest evil. God had to wipe humanity out. The largest mass execution in the history of the world so far at the flood. There, there could have been millions of people. Some say billions, but... There very well could have been millions of people on the planet Earth at that time when God looked at them and said the desire of their heart is only wickedness and violence continually. And he was patient for centuries waiting for them to return and they never did except for one man and his family. And he told them to build an ark and he saved that family through the judgment of the waters. And we have repeated some of those things after the flood. 
and we see evil. We see the curse of sin each day in this world. 55 million people die each year. 151,000 each day, 6,000 each hour, and nearly two people every second that I speak will die on planet Earth. Death is natural now. It's normal, but it's not how it's supposed to be. It's not right. There was never supposed to be this death, but sin has brought this in. And that's not even figuring in the amount of abortions that happen worldwide. 125,000 per day, around 50 million per year, each year around the world. You look at our world, you see human trafficking. We thought the days of slavery were over, but we see all kinds of slavery and human trafficking. You see terrorism. We see persecution of believers all over the world. I recently heard a story of a man in the former Soviet Union who wanted to learn just how to read the Bible. He just wanted to teach his three sons how to read the Bible. And so he talked to his wife about it and she thought he was crazy, but he said, I just want to be able to read to them and, and, and teach them a little something. So he just started with his three sons and and people in the community started finding out about it and because there weren't any pastors, there was nobody there. And so they came to this man and said, teach us. He said, whoa, I don't know anything. I'm just reading a little bit to my sons. And, and after a while, this man became a pastor and there's 75 people meeting in his house. And he doesn't even know what he's doing. He's just opening the Bible and just trying to read a little bit about Jesus. And, and all of a sudden, the, the authorities come in and they take him and they imprison him for 17 years. And he stays in prison. And they gave him opportunities to deny Christ. All he had to do was sign a sheet of paper and he could have been set free. But he would not deny this Jesus who had given him life. And so for 17 years, just because he wanted to read the Bible, he suffered in prison. The, these kind of things and worse happen all over this planet. We see hunger, we see poverty, we see disease. Within the last hundred years, we've seen world wars, we've seen numerous genocides, we've seen lots of terrorism. We've seen so many things that are taking lives and devaluing human life. And mankind is responsible. But there's also cosmic forces of evil that are behind that as well. We have corrupted our ways. We've turned from God to idols, and anger and hatred and violence and selfishness are all over this planet. And there's evil. Ephesians 6 12 says, Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Ultimately, Satan and the forces of evil want to attack God and they want to destroy human life because God is the creator of that human life and they can't touch him so they want to touch us and a lot of humanity has fallen right in with that in the religion of Islam it is blasphemous to say that man 
is made in the image of God. Blasphemous to them. But there are powers at work that we cannot see. Powers more powerful than we can imagine, but not more powerful than God. And what happens when we see these things, and especially when they hit home with us, when something happens that's a little bit closer to home with us, is we begin to question God. That's what we as Americans do. We question God. We can say, how can God allow this? And that's understandable. I've done that many times. How could God allow this? When Lazarus died, the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So even there, they're asking that question. God, why didn't you do something? Jesus, why didn't you do something? Jesus himself questioned, I believe, in his humanity and, and the weakness of that moment, even though he was fully God in the weakness of the frailty of his humanity as he hung on the cross even he questioned God about the evil in that moment he said father father why have you my God why have you forsaken me we don't live in a perfect world and so how are we supposed to respond when these evils happen especially the evils that take human life or devalue human life how are we supposed to respond I just I don't have anything earth shattering this morning just some things from Scripture and, and some basic principles. The first thing that we need to do to respond to evil as Christians, especially in America with the freedom and the things that we have and, and in the goodness that is typically a part of our lifestyle, the freedom that we have, is that we need to stir up our burden. We need to stir up our burden. So often Jesus is pictured in movies or TV. Or we picture him in our minds. Sadly, I've pictured him this way. We picture him as some kind of stoic teacher, emotionless, detached, above it all. But that's not at all the case. As we just referenced, at the death of Lazarus, the Bible says that Jesus wept. He cried. Isaiah, the prophet, said that he was a man sorrows and he was one acquainted with grief if you've experienced grief in your life you can find a friend in Jesus you can find somebody that well knows what grief is Jesus felt the burden and the sorrow of this world and if feeling that way was right for him don't you think that it's right in some sense, for us? I think you know the answer to that. But we typically make two errors, I think, in how we approach being sorrowful, especially as American Christians. The first thing we do is we isolate ourselves from it, or we try to. We try to ignore it, and we try to get lost in the goodness of this American culture and the freedoms and the joys that are offered here. Was not Jesus joyful also? Of course he was. Of course he was joyful. The Bible says he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. But he was sorrowful because he knew more than anybody what was really going on. 
And if we as Christians really had a clear view of reality, if I had a clear view of reality each and every day, I would have no choice but to have a a huge measure of sorrow about the situation of this world. So often we just want our kids to grow up and to be happy and have a good job and have a lot of fun and joy. And our deepest desire in life is that our family and ourselves would just be happy. They lived happily ever after. That's not all bad. But how can we who have known such good and such blessing from God, how can we be cold? How can I be cold? to the evils and the sufferings and the shame of this world. Proverbs 8.13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. To hate evil. One uh, well-known Christian preacher said it this way. He said, Christians are the saddest people on earth and also the most joyful. I like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of crazy, Kind of gives the idea that we're somewhat schizophrenic or, you know, you know. But I think that's pretty accurate. That's how we should be. But sometimes these things, they seem far away. I was talking with, with Ann Claire, my wife, last night. We were just talking about how these things, when we hear about persecution, these things just see, seem so far away from us. And we can just get into this routine of just living our lives and just kind of ignoring things. And what's going on in Africa just seems so far away from us. I recently watched a a documentary called The Insanity of God. If you get a chance to watch this, please do. It's, It's so powerful, so amazing. Without giving away some of the store, some of the stories, I'll just tell you this, that one of, the, one of the stories that impressed me the most was the missionary went to visit. He had spent, his, uh, he had spent decades in an African country that had been worn torn, and he had, he had seen the persecution of Christians. He had seen many of his friends and, and people that he knew and, and children. He had seen them uh, martyred and, and, and killed because of the wars going on and persecuted for their belief in Christ. And uh, he had the opportunity to begin to, to travel the world and to interview persecuted Christians. And he came to uh, an Asian country that was really closed off. And these people had no idea if Jesus had even made it out of their country. They just knew about Jesus in their country. And so they asked him, please tell us, has Jesus made it to other countries? And when he told them yes, they just began to celebrate and, and, and rejoice. And they were so excited. But then they came back later and they asked him, they said, how are they treated? And he told them about the African country that he had served in and how they had suffered so much and been killed. And it so moved these Asian Christians that this entire group um, that was there meeting dedicated an hour of their morning for the rest of their lives to pray for the persecuted believers in that country. An hour to pray for them. They were so moved. They were so broken. And I'm just thinking, an hour? I don't have time for an hour. I got, I got things to do. 
That's a lot. That's a big commitment. Yes, it is. Sometimes we can isolate ourselves. Sometimes we can uh, indulge in it. We can go the other way. We've got a 24-hour news cycle. And literally, you can turn on the local news. And it's just one story after another. There was a shooting here. There was a robbery here. There was a, and I'm just thinking, my goodness. what I mean, and it's... Uh, it's not that I don't want to know about some of those things, but there's, there's often, there's nothing, there's no leading for how to respond to it. You know, if there was a, a shooting and then, and I'm not trying to bash on the, the newscasters, I just think it's, it's the, the way that we all operate today. We just dish out this information rather than saying, there was this today, why don't we stop and pray for them? Why don't we go and do something for them? Why, wh- how do we respond to this? And sometimes I just wonder, and I, I, I really, I'm skeptical by nature, but I, I think most of you would agree with me. A lot of the 24-hour news cycle about bad stories is just to keep us interested. It's just to get ratings. It's just to get money. They've got to have something that has an entertainment value to it. And so if something bad happens, there are some news channels that will just milk that for all that it's worth. And the problem with that is we become a culture that desires to know the information, but we become a culture that doesn't have a godly way to respond to that information. My New Year's resolution was one word, repentance. I realized I could get a whole lot more done by repenting of the things in my life than coming up with a list of 20 different little resolutions that I want to change to try to help my life and I think there's something to that for all of us I think one of the things with stirring up our burden is that it has to begin with God and I know this information I've been taught this information I've known it my my entire life that we need to turn to God and we need to repent of our sin but but friends we've got to do it again we've got to humble ourselves before God Say, God, something's wrong with my heart. I don't know what your heart situation is today. I only know my heart. But I know there's so many things in my life. I'm not even anywhere close to those Asian Christians that felt so burdened for the persecuted church in Africa. I'm not even anywhere close. And that troubles me. The coldness in my own heart to serve the Lord, to be burdened about evil, about people that don't know the gospel, people that are in danger of of hell, to be burdened about how God is not glorified and that sin is exalted, to be burdened about the loss of life and the attack on life that we have today. We need to stir up our burden, and that begins with God. Would you humble yourself today? Would you begin a process, as David did, of saying, search my heart, God, find the iniquity in me? One of my favorite books in the entire world. It's one of the few books I actually read multiple times. There are some people that read books over and over again. I'm not one of those people. But I have two or three that I have read multiple times. And this is a little 60-page book. And two-thirds of it is a confession of Scottish ministers in the 1600s. It's called Words to Winners of Souls. And it's, it's written in an old language, so it takes a while to get through. But all it is, for 30 or 40 pages after the introduction is a confession of sin 
from these Scottish pastors. And they are sins that I had never even heard of. They were inventing sins, it seemed like. But as I looked at it, I'm thinking, oh my goodness. This is, this is looking into the most convicting mirror that I could ever look into. We need to come before God humbly and say, God, I need you to rework what's going on in my life. I've tried to do it. It's not working. Something's wrong with my emotions. I think we have tremendous emotional problems as a church. I think we are emotionally starved. I haven't put, all my, haven't put my finger on all the, the issues, but I think in large part it's because we're not a repenting church. We're not going before Him in prayer and saying, God, search me. See what is in me and fix it. Second is not only stir up your burden, but take action. Start a fight. Don't just get riled up about the evil. Go fight it. I love that our church has been on the front and, and, and doing some of this. But there's more that each of us can do. There have been countless throughout history who have taken their burdens about evil, about the attack on life, about the world not having the gospel. They've taken these burdens and they've turned their burden into action. I think of Billy Graham, the ministry that he started. I think of Chuck Colson, who was arrested because of the Watergate scandal, went to prison, gets out of prison, begins prison fellowship, largest prison ministry in the world. He was burdened. William Carey, burdened for India, criticized by Christians in his own country. They didn't think he needed to do foreign missions. He did it anyway. Went to India, suffered, lost wives, lost possessions. At one point he had spent years translating the Bible and all of his work was lost in a fire. I think of William Wilberforce who spent decades, decades, his entire life fighting against the African slave trade in Great Britain until he finally won and God gave him victory. Here's what someone said of Wilberforce. They said of him, it is necessary to watch as he is blessed with a very sufficient quantity of that enthusiastic spirit which so far from yielding that it grows more vigorous from blows. That's a very sophisticated way to, to speak, especially for a South Arkansas boy. But here's basically what it means. It means that when he would get beaten down by the fight, he would get up stronger because of his burden to win the battle against the evil that he faced. He fought. And though they or you will not be known in the history books or the movies, there's multitudes fighting today, fighting in our country, fighting in our church, fighting in our community, fighting across the world, in pregnancy clinics, mission hospitals, local schools, there's even a few in politics. It comes down again to the fact that it's not our circumstances or our lack of opportunity that keeps us inactive, that keeps us from getting in the fight. That's not the reason. It's not that we don't have opportunities. It's our heart. We have tremendous opportunities in our church. We can do so many things. You can go to Ukraine. You can go to Nicaragua. You can go into a local school. 
You can go work at the pregnancy clinic. You can come up with your own ministry here at Wyatt. You don't have to go through us. We've had people adopt and foster and start group homes and, and all these kind of things. But the problem is our hearts often. We often rationalize and excuse our uninvolvement in the things that make us uncomfortable, right? We use excuses. I'm busy or I'm not gifted for that. We can rationalize and excuse our uninvolvement in the things that make us uncomfortable. Our actions, just like our burden, it should begin to God with God as well. Some of you may be too busy. Maybe we're out there, we're doing a lot of activity, but we haven't come to God in humility and said, God, I cannot take care of the entire pie of the problem. If you're like me, you get overwhelmed sometimes with all the evil that's out there and all the problems that exist and how many people don't know the gospel. You can get overwhelmed. And that's when we need to come to God. We need to say, God, what is my piece of the pie? Every day, God, what is, what is your calling to me today? How do I need to take action? How do I need to fight? One of the most convicting things from, from the movie that I saw is they said, if you're not sharing the gospel, you have a, a similarity with the persecutors in other countries. You're not promoting Jesus. You're not sharing Jesus with others. And I thought, wow, that's convicting. If you have the gospel message in your life and you are holding that back from others, you have a commonality with people that are persecuting Christians in another country. I have that commonality. We cannot sit back when people don't know the gospel, when people have not accepted the gospel, when God has commanded us to take the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. We cannot hold the good news in to ourselves. There's a problem with that. And so our actions need to begin with God as well. We need to go to him and say, God, what do we need to do? Have you approached God in this way? How you should live, how you should respond to the evil that you see in the world. And finally, we need to have faith. In the previous two points, I want you to notice I, I brought us back to God. You're not going to stir up your burden by your own willpower. You've got to go to God. You're not going to perform the right actions. You're not going to do the right things. You're not going to be involved with the right ways. You're not, you're not going to get equipped. You're not, going to, you're not going to do what you need to do if you do it in your own power. You've got to go to God. You've got to go. You've got to sit with Him. You've got to be there in His presence. And you've got to listen. You have to talk a little bit, but you have to listen to Him. Finally, you have to have faith. When people ask, how can God allow this Of course, they don't realize that by asking the question, they're assuming God's existence because there is no such thing as evil, but there is no such thing as a good God. If there's no good God, then there's no thing called evil. Evil can only exist if there is a good God who has defined everything. But they ask this question, and usually it happens when it's something that's happened to them personally or, or, or it's a particular thing that just strikes them. It's just because we don't see it every day and so when when something big happens typically we we question but really we need to step back we need to ask the question of the, the entire world altogether why did god make the world 
I struggle with this. We got a man, there's a man in our church, one of our church members, I won't name, we, we talk about this some, and it's the hardest question for me. God knew what he was creating. He knew he was creating a world where evil and sin and all of this would exist. We believe that God knows all, and he knew, the Bible says that he knows all. He knew what he was creating. But either he's not good, or he's got a plan. And somehow he's going to make all of this right. And that's one of the important things for us to remember. Not only is God sovereign, friends, but he's good. It's very important. He's good. Part of the answer is in eternity. What you and I need to realize when we ask that question, where we're tempted to not act in the right way, but to come to God and to question, we need to realize that every person's human life is just a small part of eternity small part and there's coming a day when god will judge the earth where god will judge every man every woman every child and he will balance the scales of justice he will make things right for every single person he will punish the ones that need to be punished he will he will he will reward those who are to be rewarded he's going to balance those scales and so when we think of eternity and we realize that even the suffering that we might have in life is just for a, a small speck on the eternal scale. It doesn't remove that evil. It happens, but it certainly helps. It helps to realize that God's plan is not a two-week plan. It's an eternal plan. And we have to trust Him and His faithfulness that He knows what He's doing. We have to trust Romans 8.28 that all things will work together for good to them that love the Lord. It doesn't say, as you've heard before, it doesn't say that all the things will be good. Some of them will be evil. But God has allowed it for some reason or reasons. But we have to trust that his plan is perfect and that he's going to make it right in the end. Have faith in God's justice and his judgment to come in eternity. He is faithful for eternity. Romans chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. And I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened. And then the sea gave up its dead and death and Hades gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their works. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. God is going to judge. He's going to make everything right. But we don't just need to have faith that God's going to work it out in the future. We need to have faith that God can change things right now. He is faithful on Sunday, January fifteenth, two 2017 in El Dorado, Arkansas. He is faithful. He's doing the same things he's done for thousands of years. He's the same person he was yesterday. He will never change. And he is the only person that we can have hope in, that we can trust, and that we can view as completely faithful. And there's no reason that we should doubt that. He's faithful in your life and mine to accomplish victory. To accomplish victory, first of all, over your sin. If you want to fight against evil, 
And I want to fight against evil. We have to trust God's faithfulness to fight it in us, first of all. We're the first battlefield that we're responsible for. We've got to fight it in us. And the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross, and he paid the penalty for sin, and he earned salvation for you. You, weren't, you can't earn it. You will not earn it. You don't want to earn it. But he earned it. And because of his love and because of his sacrifice and his, his perfect gift on the cross and paying for that sin, you can have life. And the gospel takes root in our lives when you realize and when you trust and when you believe. Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That God loved the world in this way, that he sent his only son, that if you would believe in him, trust in him, you would not perish but have everlasting life. You've got to have faith in his faithfulness to save you, first of all. Jesus was not out of touch with the pain and the suffering of the people in the world. God is not out of touch with it. Sometimes I, I get into to this trap. I get into this trap of thinking that God is somehow out of touch, that he's up there. I, I'm kind of like the Israelites that, that began to groan after years in Egyptian slavery. They... Some of them began to groan that God wasn't hearing them and God wasn't listening, and they thought that God didn't care. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I feel that way sometimes. Sometimes when I get real spoiled acting, God, why haven't you answered my prayer yet? God, why aren't you doing the things I want you to do? God, why aren't you my genie in a bottle? How come I can't be God? You serve me. But God's listening. He forgives me for that. He knows my pain and he's listening. I close with uh, with the story of Joseph, and then uh, another scripture. I love the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph has so many answers for us. There's still a mystery to the problem of evil, but it has so many answers for us as the children of God. Here's Joseph, one of the twelve sons of Jacob, the most loved and favored by his father, the one that had the, the multicolored coat. And the greatest of evils happens to him. Something that, that it would definitely make the news here. But we just can't imagine it. His 11 brothers, 10 brothers, Benjamin, I don't think Benjamin was there. 10 brothers decide, first of all, to kill him. But Reuben saved him, said, no, we don't want to do that. Let's make it look like he died and let's sell him into slavery. And so they sold their brother because of their hatred of him. Joseph endured an amazing evil. For some of us, family is all we have. And here you've got Joseph. His family is the one that betrayed him. They sold him into slavery, and he spent years in hardship and prison. And he endured this great evil. But I love how the story ends. I love that, that Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream and that Pharaoh puts him at second in command and there was a famine in the land of his brothers, and his brothers come before him, and, and he's able to forgive them, he's able to reconcile them, and he's able to bring the whole family, all 70-something of them, bring them to Egypt and to, to save the family. He's able to see his dad again, and he's able just to restore. And this evil situation has been restored into something very, very beautiful. And I love what it says. It says it in Genesis chapter 45. It, 
says this. It says that God was with him throughout all of this. And it says that God went ahead of him to preserve life. The reason that we should be encouraged to be burdened, to fight today, is because God is faithful, but because God is the one that's fighting for life. God is fighting for your life today. God wants you to be saved today. There's a loving God that isn't just saying, hey, be saved. He's begging you to be saved. He's pleading with you to be saved. And there's a God that wants this evil to end. And one day he's going to put an end to it. But how much more so should we join in the fight knowing that our God is the one that's out fighting? He's the one out front that's fighting this battle. We have nothing to fear. God is fighting this battle. He's not sitting back saying, you go fight. He's saying, I am fighting. I am out front ahead of you, church, to preserve life. Your response to the evil that you see is not to question me, but to come and join me in the strength that I will provide. How should we respond to evil and to stir up our burdens? Start a fight and to stick with God. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. He judges the peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them exult. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his faithfulness. Never forget this morning that as the scriptures say, the love of the Lord stretches to the heavens and his faithfulness reaches to the skies. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God of life, that you are in front of us. You're out in front of us, preserving life, and you are calling us to join in that fight, to join in, to fight against the evils that are trying to attack your creation on this planet, to join in in sharing the gospel with others, to join in in making disciples of all nations. And so I pray this morning, God, that as we continue to worship, that even now you will begin to stir up our burden, that you will do something in our hearts that we cannot do. God, that you'll show us where we need to be fighting. Get us off the couch. Get us off the sidelines. Get us out of our excuses. Get us out of our sin. And get us in the battle for you and your glory and your kingdom. And God, may all of it, may the foundation of everything be our increasing knowledge and belief and trust that you are faithful. You're the only faithful one. You are the faithful God. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.